Hey, welcome back to The Bible from the Beginning to Eternity podcast. Today's episode is Introduction Part 2. If you haven't yet listened to the Introduction Part 1, I invite you to give that a listen too. Before I start reading scripture, I wanted to have a second introduction episode to briefly explain a few things that I think would be very helpful for you to know about the Bible as a whole. Kind of look at things from a 30,000 foot view and see how the whole book fits together telling one story. We know what the Bible is. The Bible is a book, right? Actually, the Bible is a collection of books, like a library. But these aren't just any books. The Bible is a divine book. It is truly a divine book. What do I mean by that? What does divine mean? It means that it is from God. The creator of the universe has provided a book for you to read. Think of that. That is hard to grasp, isn't it? That we have a book from God. When you think about it like that, you guys, don't you want to know what's in it? What exactly is in the Bible? What is the Bible really about? If you said, can you tell me what the Bible is about? I would say, the Bible is a love letter to his people with Jesus Christ at the very center of it. Why do I say that it's a love letter? Well, the Bible itself says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. Okay, a couple questions here, right? You might say, Okay, well, God so loved the world. That's easy to understand. But then you might say, Jesus is begotten? What does begotten even mean? I've never heard that word in everyday language. In this context, the word begotten means the only one of its kind. What a beautiful idea, the only one. No one else like Jesus ever existed and no one else like Jesus will ever exist. Jesus is the only one of his kind. And God gave his son, who was the only one of his kind. You might say, well, God gave his son. What do you mean? Who did he give him to? God gave him as a sacrifice to take away sin. You might say, how does a sacrifice take away sin? Wow, that is a mighty big question. That is exactly why I am here. That is exactly what I intend to teach you. You might also say, well, why does my sin even need to be taken away? Can't I just be sorry that I sinned? The answer to that is no. God is so holy, so perfect, that he is unable to be in the presence of sin. That means no one can be in God's presence unless their sin has been taken away 
and remember God's original intention was to dwell with us, which means to live among us. So in order to live with God someday, our sins need to be taken away. How does that happen? How are my sins taken away? Jesus already did it for you. That's why we need him. He's the only one who takes sin away. Now let's not forget the last part of the verse that we just talked about, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. Did you hear that? How do you get eternal life? By believing. Not by being a good person, not by any great works that you do, but by having faith that Jesus died to take away your sins. Okay, so what is the overarching plot of the whole Bible? It can be summarized in five sections. Creation, the fall, the story of Israel, Jesus, and the church. So let's break those down a little bit further. The first one, creation. God made the heavens and the earth. And as I mentioned earlier, God intended to live among his people. The second one, the fall. What do I mean by that? The fall refers to the rebellion of Adam and Eve, which began in the Garden of Eden with Satan. The third one, Israel. What does the story of Israel have to do with all this? Well, God chose the nation of Israel as his chosen people. It started by God choosing one guy. His name was Abraham. And he told Abraham, Get up and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham does. God promised to bless Abraham and make him into a great nation. In fact, God promises to bless all nations of the earth through this one guy, Abraham. All the nations. That means you and me. Even though we are not a part of Israel, we are still eligible to have this blessing. God even promised that he would bless those who blessed Israel and curse those who cursed Israel. Why in the world would God choose one unknown Jewish guy and make these kinds of promises? Because God decided to use Abraham and his family to show the world what he, God, was like. He chose Israel to demonstrate his own character to the world so everybody could see what God was like. Does this mean that God loves Jewish people more than people who aren't Jewish? No. But God had to make a choice to accomplish his purposes, and Abraham is the one he chose. Okay, remember, we were going over the five parts, creation, the fall, the story of Israel, Jesus, and the church. So we already reviewed creation, the fall, and the story of Israel. Next we have Jesus, part four, who is the promised Savior, and the fifth part, the church. What do I mean by the church? Saying church makes you think about a building with a steeple where you go on Sundays to worship God, but that's not what I mean. When I say the church, well, that means you and me. We are the church. What we are supposed to be doing now is telling everyone we know 
the good news about the chance for eternal life through faith in Jesus. Okay, so that little summary is important. And remember to keep it in your back pocket as we move through the Bible because it will help you keep your place of where in the story arc you are. So how is the Bible organized? Well, there are two main parts. You know them as the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew. The events which took place during the Old Testament span from approximately 4000 BC to approximately 430 BC. Inside the Old Testament are a combination of writings, like stories, poetry, and historical books. And all of these writings point to a coming Savior. It's Jesus. Jesus always existed. He's eternal. And he's hinted at all throughout the entire Old Testament. And I'm going to do my very best to point these things out to you. Well, when the Old Testament ends, that Savior, you know, the Savior that's been hinted at the whole time, the Savior everybody's been waiting for, he doesn't show up. The Old Testament ends on a major cliffhanger. Then, about 400 years goes by. And then, Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. And it's the life of Jesus that's covered in the New Testament. It was written mostly in Greek. The New Testament contains a record of Jesus' life, his ministry, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. And it also talks about the followers of Jesus and the beginnings of Christianity, and even contains visions of the end times. So, who wrote the Bible? Who were these authors? Well, we know that God loves humans, right? He used humans to bring forth his own holy words. The Bible itself says that all scripture is inspired by God. And if you want to find that passage, it's in the book, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. God inspired humans to write what he wanted us to know. Now God used humans. Why did he do that? We know that God could have written the book by himself, right? I mean, you guys, he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. He spoke it into existence. He could have easily produced a book in an instant. But God chose to reveal his holy word through humans. God loves humans. He wanted to dwell with humans right from page one of the Bible. He even made humans in his own image. And to produce the Bible, well, he used humans, humans from all walks of life. The writers of the Bible included kings, servants, shepherds, a doctor, priests, a tax collector, prophets, and many others. Some were educated, some were uneducated. God can and wants to use everybody. And all of these writers wrote what they wrote by the inspiration directly from God. So now you have a little flavor of the Old and New Testaments. I truly believe 
that to have a solid understanding of the life of Jesus Christ and exactly what he did on the cross, which is talked about in the New Testament, it is crucial to have an understanding of the things that happened in the Old Testament. When I decided to read the Bible for the very first time, I really didn't know the right way to read it, or even if there was a right way or a wrong way. So I read it like I would read any other book from the beginning. And when I got to the New Testament, it was exciting to understand who finally showed up and everything that happened in the past that led up to that moment. Think of it this way. Think of a movie that has more than one part. It would seem logical to watch them in order. If there are any Rocky Balboa fans out there, would you agree that you would never, ever watch Rocky 2 before you watched Rocky 1? If you don't watch Rocky 1 first, you will have missed a very important backstory that would greatly enhance your understanding of Rocky 2. If you watch them out of order, Rocky himself would say, Yo, Adrian, that ain't right. Okay, so you got the idea. So you have the Indiana Jones movies, The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia. These are other examples. Each movie builds off of the previous ones. There are countless movie franchises like these, and you can think of your favorite one. And these examples are fun to talk about. And all of these movies that have more than one part, if you missed the previous movies, and you watched one later in the series, you could still follow what was happening, but you wouldn't have the very important backstory, and you would miss subtle details that are hidden inside the later movies. And this is the exact point I'm trying to make about the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says and does many things. We wouldn't understand some of what he says and some of the reasons he does the things that he does unless we know the backstory. Jesus had an Old Testament. He knew the scripture well, very well. He understood that he was alluded to in the Old Testament. And there are events that happen during Jesus' lifetime that won't make complete sense to us unless we know the full backstory, unless we know the characters of Israel, what they said and did, and unless we follow the plot as it unfolds. And the mighty climax of the gospel story will only make sense if we experience the rebellion in the Old Testament and the tension in the story of the nation of Israel, and if we deal with the conflicts that occurred before Jesus finally appears in the story. The Old Testament and the New Testament cannot be separated. They go together. So, by now, I bet that you probably guess that once I finally start reading scripture, that I'm going to start in the beginning with the book of Genesis, and I truly hope that after I just said that, that you didn't just now run away kicking and screaming. I think you will enjoy seeing the big picture of how this whole love letter from God to us unfolds. If we take time to read it, savor the words, 
just like you would savor each bite of a delicious meal. It's going to be so beautiful, the most beautiful love story that's ever been told. And the best part about it is that you are included in the love letter. The love letter of the Bible is going to show us that we need a savior and how we can have eternal life, eternal joy and happiness in heaven. You know, before I became a Christian, if someone talked about needing a savior, if that person said to me, hey, listen, are you saved? I would say, am I saved? Saved like I'm drowning? Like I'm in trouble? What are you talking about? Saved from what? Why do I need saving? Things are going pretty good for me. I'm perfectly fine. Look, I got a job. I got a place to live. I just ate a meal at my favorite restaurant, got my favorite dessert, and I'm going to watch my favorite show tonight. Things are good. I'm good. Oh, this is the exact attitude I had. And it was so wrong. And I was so lost. I was drowning. I was in trouble. I just didn't know it. And when this attitude, I was just living my life. And I was on my way straight to hell. Why do we need saving? This divine Bible, this love letter from God reveals our brokenness when we can't see it. It reveals how far away from God we truly are. And it shows us exactly why we need a savior. In fact, we'll be getting to that pretty soon because we're going to watch it begin to unfold right within the first few books of the Bible. Okay, you guys, couple more things I'd like to add. I debated a lot over which translation to use for reading scripture to you on this podcast. And I finally settled on using the New Living Translation because the way it reads, it reads the same exact way that we talk in 2023. And I'll use other translations along the way if I find certain verses that are explained in an easier way. But as for the commentary and the word studies, I'll be looking in the King James Version. And actually, I might use the King James Version sometimes for reading and especially for poetry. Because the poetry in the King James is so sharp and perfect and it packs such a satisfying punch and I really don't want you to miss out on that. And a little side note, if you want to know more about the various Bible translations and which one might be right for you, see the show notes below. Finally, I've been in prayer over this podcast that the Holy Spirit would give me the words to say when I teach, and I have surely prayed that I will make no mistakes. Sharing the words of God is serious business, and if I do make mistakes, those errors are completely mine. You should know that the commentary I'm going to offer you isn't even going to scratch 1% of the surface of what is contained in the Bible my goal is not to give you 100% of what can be learned in the Bible. My main goal 
is to get you to understand that you need a Savior. You need the grace of God. The Bible says that it is by God's grace that you are saved through faith in Jesus. And this is not the result of your own efforts. Remember what we read earlier in John 3.16, that whosoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. How are we going to learn about this? By reading the Bible. Words are at the heart of it. And I'm going to read the Bible to you so you can understand. It is my prayer that this podcast will inspire you to get a Bible if you don't already have one and read it for yourself regularly. And if you have any questions or if you want to contact me, you can find my email address in the show notes below. Okay, you guys, I'm going to leave you with this quote by Billy Graham. And it's based on a verse in scripture, which you can find in the book of Amos, chapter 4, verse 12. This quote by Billy Graham helps explain why I am desperate to share the Bible with you, with everyone. And here it is. Billy Graham said this. It's strange that people will prepare for everything except death. We prepare for education, careers, and marriage. We prepare for everything except for the moment we are to die. More important than setting our house in order is setting our soul in order and placing it in the eternal care of God. Sooner or later, we will all face death and we must make preparations while we still live. The Bible plainly says, prepare to meet your God. Death is simply the doorway to eternal life. So, you guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. We're all going to die someday. It's not something we like to think about, but it is coming. We can't wait until we die to accept Jesus. By then it will be too late. We are all going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. For eternity. You know, that's why it was so important to me to have the word eternity in the name of this podcast. In our worldly lives, we don't fix our eyes upon eternity. We busy humans, we fix our eyes on the here and now, all the time. Try this exercise later. Sit quietly for a few minutes and try to wrap your brain around the idea of eternity It's impossible for us to grasp it. Think of it. Eternity. No ending. Forever. Okay, you might say, I hear what you're saying, and I'm afraid of spending eternity in the wrong place. What do I do? How do I fix it? How do I even go about accepting a savior? How do you accept Jesus? It's easy. It's so easy. You say this prayer and mean it with all of your heart. You say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. 
I'm sorry for my sins. I turn away from my sins and invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you, Jesus, and to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Listen to me. The moment you say that prayer and mean it in your heart, there will be rejoicing in heaven. The moment you say it, you will be saved. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining me at the Bible from the beginning to eternity podcast. Until next time, remember that Jesus knew you and loved you before you even existed. I love you too. How can I love you if I don't even know you? Because you were made in the image of God.